Gracious God, we thank you so much that you are faithful. And that when you give us promises, these aren't just ideas to kind of make us feel better about things. No, these are assurances that you are at work and that you will continue to work in our lives. And so today, as we are diving into your word, we're asking that you would speak life to us. It says in John chapter 6 that the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. In John chapter 15, we're told that if, if we abide in you and your words abide in us, we will ask what we desire and it will be done for us. We'll bear much fruit for the Father's glory. And so, God, we're just giving you permission to give us life through your word. We also, Father, just want to give you our burdens, things that may uh, weigh our hearts and minds down today, people that we are burdened for. And so, as was mentioned, we pray for Lindsay. We pray for others who may not be feeling well today. We are thankful for those that you have brought through, illness or physical challenges or other challenges. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have worked and we just want to be expectant, confident that you are going to continue to work in our midst. So thank you for your goodness to us. Please, as we open up your word, open up our hearts. Send us the gift of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen, amen. All right, open with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43 is where we are today. You know, the, the, the other... Uh, messages of this series, All Things New. We've looked at a promise of how God makes our heart new. Then last week, we looked at the promise of God, of how God will make the heavens and the earth new. Um, but this promise of newness is a little bit different. All right, This promise of newness is a little bit different. We're rounding this series out with a promise that reveals that the God who makes new things can also work in new ways. The God who can make new things is also the God who will work in new ways. Now, if you're in the habit of taking notes as, as we teach and preach here, um, I don't have anything on the screen aside from this picture. So you'll just have to take notes from what we're reading and what we're saying and stuff today. But let's go there. Isaiah chapter 43. And if you have ever read this chapter in its entirety, you know that Isaiah 43 has precious and magnificent promises, right? I mean, just, just kind of glancing at the very first verse, maybe these are words that are familiar to you. If not, you need to hear this. But now, this is verse 1 of chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. That's going to come back later on. Fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but that's God's word to you. That's God's word to me. Praise him for that. Anyways, this, this chapter is incredible. If you've ever wondered where God is, if you're wondering right now if he's walking with you, be certain he's walking you through the river, through the fire, whatever challenge, whatever adversity, it's his opportunity to reveal his presence in your life. Yeah. Okay. 
So let's go down to verse 14, because the, the, the promise of newness that we want to focus on is actually in verse 19. We're going to catch a little bit of a runway. And here, starting in verse 14, God is going to bring some things to mind that Israel, Isaiah's original audience, needed to hear. And I think it's stuff that we need to hear today, too. Verse 14, the Bible says this. I'm reading from the New King James. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. All right, first things that God is bringing to mind is who he is to you and I. Who he is to us. Okay, well, first of all, he is our Lord. Yes, praise God. He is God alone. But it also says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Do you know that God is your Redeemer today? Amen. Yeah. And I, I don't know what kinds of, uh, you know, mental pictures or what kind of significance that conjures up in your mind. But that concept of God being our Redeemer is really deep. And that's probably like a whole other series in and of itself. The word itself is goel, okay? It's talking about, you know, uh, the Hebrew civil law. There were, th there were laws, in, in, you know, it's actually very articulated in Leviticus chapter 25. But there are situations that people find themselves in, situations of adversity, situations, holes that they dig for themselves, distress, difficulties, things like that. And Hebrew law actually created outs, okay? Hebrew law allowed for, well, when people get themselves in a situation, maybe, for example, poverty, and they can't pay back a debt, well, they can give their land. Or they can even give themselves as a slave to that person that they owe a debt to. And, and if you ever get to a point where you have no way to get yourself out, then there is this concept of a kinsman redeemer. Have you heard of that before? Oh, man, we, we got some, Okay, so a kinsman redeemer was like your closest relative, your next of kin, that could look at your situation and say, wait, you can't get yourself out, so I'll step in and legally act for you. Okay, I'll get you out of that debt. I'll get you out of that pit. That slavery that you're, you find yourself in, I will redeem you from that. <laughs> that's, that's really awesome. So when God, okay, again, this is not the sermon, but this is the sermon right here. So, so when God creates us in his image, guess what? He obligates himself to be our next of kin. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whoa. And from the very beginning, he assures us, if you ever find yourself in a situation that you cannot get yourself out of, I have the legal right to act on your behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Boom. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> and then, I mean, he shows it without a doubt. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Then he really shows us. Yeah, I'm your next of kin. I am your redeemer. Okay. So, what he brings to mind is who he is to us. He is our redeemer. He is also, what does the rest of verse 14 say? The holy one of Israel. The one who is set apart. The one who is set apart for you, for me. And then he not only reminds us of who he is to us, he also reminds us of promises of things he will do for us. It says this in verse 14, For your sake I will send to Babylon... And bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. Okay, so this is talking to Israel, anticipating the time in which they are going to find themselves in a pit that they can't dig themselves out of. 
And he's promising, okay, those captors, I'm going to take them captive. Those enemies, they're going to be rendered powerless. And so he reminds us of who he is to us. He reminds us of what he promises to do for us. And then in verse 15, a little bit more reminder of who he is. Verse 15, it says, I am the Lord. Apparently, we have difficulty remembering that God is God. Yeah. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So here, the emphasis is not just on who he is, but our belonging to him. Yeah. I'm your Holy One. I am your King. And then verse 16 and 17, he's reminded us of who he is to us, what he promises to do for us, and, the, and now he's going to remind us of the ways he has worked for our deliverance. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. What story is that supposed to conjure up in our hearts and minds? The, the crossing of the Red Sea, right? Deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The exodus. That, by the way, means way out. Ek or ex, like exit. And then hodos, that's the Greek word for way. Exodus, it's the way out, the departure. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Verse 17, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Man, there's a sense of finality to that, right? Those enemies aren't rising up again. So here, God is reminding us of the ways he has worked in our past. And these are all things that I believe, in whatever situation or challenge or difficulty we may find ourselves in, these are things that we ought to conjure up in our mind too. Who God is to us. What he has promised to do for us. The fact that we belong to him and remembrance of what he has done in the past. Now, in verse 18 and 19, we're going to start looking at God's instructions and his promise. Promises to his people who are apparently in need of deliverance or in future need of deliverance, right? Promises to his people who have been enslaved through their own waywardness and rebellion. Promises to his people who have become captive, okay? And I wonder if any of us can relate to any of that. <laughs> Being in a situation that we're stuck in. We feel like we got ourselves in. Or we feel like someone else got us in and we have no way out. And so, verse 18. This is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. What does God first instruct us to do? Well, he first instructs us to not do something. All right, verse 18. Do not do what? Do not remember. Okay, do not remember. Well, remember, do not remember what? Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Well, this is kind of strange, right? <laughs> because he just reminded us of former things. This is kind of strange because he just actually, uh, you know, recalled for us how he delivered us in the past. Well, then God must not necessarily mean this in an absolute sense, right? 
He must mean this in a relative sense, like for now, in this particular situation right now, there's something else I want you to remember. Okay, there's something else I want you to consider and bring to mind. I mean, because we know that rehearsing the past has tremendous value. Rehearsing how God has worked for us in the past has, has a really uh, heart-stabilizing dynamic. And that's why so many of the Psalms, by the way, that was, it was the Hebrews' hymn book. That was their hymnal. That's why so many of those Psalms recount God's providence in the past. However, when we become, let's say, like, let's say it like this, when we become fixated on that, then, there is, uh, then we're at risk of unhealthfully dwelling in the past that inhibits us from moving forward with God. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, we're going to circle back to that in just a moment. But, but here, for now, God is giving us instructions. The one who has already reminded us of what he was able to do before, he's giving us instructions. Okay, right now, I want you to pay attention to something else. So what is that something else? Verse 19 will tell us. What's the first word of verse 19? Behold, okay, look at this. All right, look at this instead. Fix your attention on this. Well, what is it that we are to fix our focus on? Behold, I will do a new thing. So what are we supposed to behold? We're supposed to behold what he will do. First off, behold what he does, okay? <laughs> if you're ever stuck enslaved, feeling like you're a captive to circumstance or whatever the case might be, our tendency is going to be on what I should do about that. But God's call is, behold, I will do. Okay, not, not, not about what we do, but what he does. Amen? Amen. The second thing here is, behold, what I will do a new thing. In other words, don't just fixate on what God has done or even what God hasn't done. What he wants our eyes to be wide open to is the certainty that he will be on the move. That he will act. And particularly that he will act in a way that maybe we haven't seen before. In a new way. Behold, I will do a what kind of thing? A new thing. A new thing. Again, you know, the context is deliverance, right? Bringing down, bringing down his people's captors in Babylon. And that act of deliverance was new and distinct uh, from what he had done before. Like, yes, yes, you know, he had turned upside down Pharaoh's hold on Israel back in the days of Moses, right? He, he did uh, deliver them. But he is doing it in a different way. What does the rest of verse 19 say? Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road where? In the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, prior to this, in the deliverance of, of Israel from Egypt, he made a road, a road or a way through the sea, right? That, that's what uh, verse 16 says. Who makes a way in the sea and a path through the waters. So God is saying, hey, I'm going to make a way, but this time it's going to be through the wilderness. I love the, the, this picture of God, that he is a way maker. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever may seem impassable, 
that is not a problem for our way maker. Right? Whatever may stand between where I am and where I hope to be, that is not too big for our way maker. Ah, praise the Lord for that. There is nothing impossible for the God that we serve. And so if we ever find ourselves enslaved in generations-long submission to another master, if we ever find ourselves captive to circumstances that we never chose for ourselves, behold your king. Behold your holy one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. And when he does this, I love this in verse 19, when he undoes Israel's captivity in a new way, he's going to do it with flair. <laughs> he's going to do it in a way that makes rivers in the desert where things that seem impossible, implausible, that's where life is going to be. What does it say? Verse 19, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I mean, that, that depicts just this miraculous, radical transformation that could only come from the hand of God. Turning dry deserts into areas that are blessed with vitality and vibrancy. If he can do that in a desert out there, could he do that in a desert right here? I surely believe so. And so, question today, before we proceed here, is what, what kind of captivity are you longing for God to undo in your life? What kind of captivity are you longing for God to just turn around in your life? Is it a captivity of circumstances that you just have no power over? Is it a captivity of of sin, a burden of sin? Is it shame or guilt? Is it a season of depression? Or maybe it's unbelief or skepticism. Maybe it's not your own captivity, but a captivity that you are watching a loved one go through, and you long for God to turn that around. Whatever it is, our Creator and King is the way maker, and He has demonstrated Himself able. He has demonstrated himself able to provide a way of escape and deliverance when it seems impossible. He has proven that he is able to cast down even the strongest of our enemies, even the, the, the strongest of our captors. And this one is not only able to deliver us, but he's able to deliver us in a new way. I think that's what verse 19 is really trying to highlight to us. And that's where the question comes in. Shall you not know it? Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Apparently, it is possible to miss the new things that God does to deliver us. Sometimes God's intervention in our lives, it actually springs forth with a sense of suddenness, even, even surprise. That's where that idea, like, now it shall spring forth. And it's surprising or it's sudden because it's not necessarily the timing we would have anticipated, not necessarily the manner we would have anticipated, or through the people we would have anticipated. But God will do it, and that's where this kind of rhetorical question is, shall you not know it? Like, pay attention. It's a call to pay attention, really. And it kind of links us back to what God was calling our attention away from before, those former things. 
Do not remember the former things. Do not consider the things of old. Because if that's where we're looking, we just might miss the new things that God is up to. Do you follow me? Yeah. Again, uh, let's, let's make sure to clarify what we're not saying, okay? This is not, this is not an absolute command to just disregard all things that God has done in the past as if that's irrelevant or impertinent to your situation or mine. No, that's not what we're saying, amen? Okay, see, we, we already know Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? We know that. But there's a consistency with God, and there is tremendous value, as we said, in recalling his dealings in the past, asking for the ancient ways and standing there, therein so that we can have rest for our souls, so to speak. Why, why, why is it? Because when we look at the past, we can discern a consistency in God's character, yeah? We can discern a consistency in the way he works, even, I would say, a beautiful symmetry in the way he works. So much so, like, when we look at apocalyptic prophecy, like in the books of Daniel and Revelation, particularly in Revelation, Revelation pulls so much from the Old Testament because there are ways that God has worked in the past that he wants us to understand so we can watch how he's going to work in the future, right? So we're not saying, forget the old. That is obsolete. That is irrelevant. No, 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 not at all. But all of this, this value and appreciation of the old, doesn't mean that we should limit God from ever stepping out of the box of his previous acts. You follow that? Yeah. Because God, in fact, does new things. What kind of things? New things. God, in fact, does new things. And I would submit those are things that, that blow the ceiling off of what we had previously known and experienced of him before. <laughs> I mean, this is why the Psalms weave that refrain, sing to the Lord a new song, yeah. right? Even from a new, not old hymnal that we might have. No, <laughs> Anyways. But this is why, because David had the expectation that God was going to work in wondrous ways, ways that would give us new reasons or new inspiration to sing and worship him. Yeah. I think of, of Joshua, you know, Joshua, son of Nun, the apprentice of Moses, who, who you know, he, he was someone who actually lived the very history that we're talking about. He walked that way through the sea. He saw all of that. He saw God do a new thing in his midst. Now, if he had just hung on to that, he wouldn't be standing at the Jordan River walking through it before it parted. If he had fixated on the past, he would have expected, guys, we're not moving until this thing clears out. Right? No, no, no. What the past taught Joshua is not, okay, this is how God will always work. What the past taught Joshua was, God can do things in new ways. And that led him decades later to pray one of the most audacious prayers in all of Scripture. Son, stand still. Who would say such a thing, right? As he's trying to fulfill God's will. As he's trying to be faithful to the commission and instruction of God, he says, wait, 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 there's not enough time here. Son, stand still. Where does he get that? He knows that God can do a new thing. 
This promise where God is saying, Behold, look at me, I will do a new thing, I believe will lead us to hope high and to pray big. I think it will also lead us to an intense dependence upon God. Where we're not depending on, okay, this is what we've done before, but okay, God, what are you going to do now? Does that scare anybody? <laughs> uh, the reason I say that is because, you know, when, when we actually, tr- uh, you know, accept this idea that God will do a new thing, then we don't, <laughs> we don't have the past to fall back on as a safety net all the time. Oh, boy. I don't know if I'm articulating this well. Let me, let me tell you a story. Okay, okay. So, um, <clears throat> Over Christmas, New Year's, we were visiting my sister's house. And, um, you know, my sister, she is, she is a stay-at-home family physician. That's, that's who she is. She's, she's board certified. She's, you know. Anyways, and um, over the last several years, she has taken it upon herself to really understand personality profiles. Anybody heard of Myers-Briggs, things like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, there's this combination of four letters that, you know, after you take this personality assessment and stuff, you kind of identify your own personality profile. And so here we are as a whole household, this extended family just hanging out in the dining room, overflowing into the the kitchen and stuff, and we're all taking this uh, Myers-Briggs assessment together. Wait, wait, what was going on here? I missed it. I missed it. No, okay. And this is where we all got COVID? No, anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Anyways, so by the end of this, I get this four-letter combination that was different than a four-letter combination that I had taken, you know, five years ago when I first started church planting. I was an ESFJ. You know, the E kind of standing for extroverted sensing, what is it, feeler, judgment, that, that kind of thing. Anyways, this time around, I turn out to be an ISFJ, Okay. Oh, yeah, and all of you are figuring me out right now. Okay. Anyways, lots of things to understand about those combinations and what that, how that manifests itself in life, relationships, how we interact with people, the decisions that we make, how we even come to those decisions, things like that. The one dynamic that stood out to me is that for ISFJs, stability is a place of security. Yeah, yeah, you feel that? Yeah. Okay, in other words, um, and, and that manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but particularly when it comes to new situations, uh, uncertain conditions where there are unknowns and you're not quite sure, I've never been through this before, how should I navigate my, uh, my decisions, how should I even handle myself in this new place, new environment, new job, whatever the case might be. For ISFJs, their natural default, because stability, they, they find security in that, we find security in that, I should say. Um, because stability is such a driver, we will navigate unknowns by going through our memories to find something that matches. And say, okay, this is what worked in the past. Let's apply it to the present and future. And so here I am, an ISFJ, a newly discovered ISFJ, <laughs> reading this promise, do not consider the things of all. Or remember the former things. Hey, you're taking my security blanket, right? 
Now, some of our personalities will be like, oh, new things, let's go for it. You know, <laughs> dive in, headstrong, trial and error, let's just figure this out, or our, the sensing nature will just kind of react and respond. And praise the Lord, high five to you. But here's the thing. <laughs> for some of us, we like to go back, and we'll find security in that. Maybe you resonate with that. When it comes to your relationship with God and how you handle the unknowns that are laid before you, unknowns that may be of varying degrees of stress and difficulty, God knows that sometimes our default is just to go back on what we've done before and look back on what we, he's seen and expect him to do it the same way. Or even prescribe him to do it the same way. Here's the thing. When we fixate on the former ways that God has worked, we end up relying upon those previous experiences of what's known and comfortable to us rather than relying on the God who can do new things. And that's where the issue is. We unconsciously make a God of what we're used to. But I would submit that when we trust God to do new things in our lives, we give him a green light to say, God, you be God. And when we're willing to do that, then our lives can become the arena for him to be praised, for him to be acknowledged as God. That's why, actually, if you just kind of keep reading the next few verses, there are these praises that honor God. Verse 20, Isaiah 43, verse 20, The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I, gave waters, or I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Verse 21, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. You see, when we let God be God, when we let him do new things for us, when we stop making a God of our past experiences and our comfort zones, then he can truly be praised. So here we are, a few weeks into 2022. And while we can find, yes, we can find so much to appreciate about how God has worked in our past, both personally and collectively as a church, let us personally and collectively not limit God with our rearview mirror expectations of him. Expectations of what he can do or should do. Man, applying this personally is one thing, but then applying this on a church collective, how do we experience this as a congregation? Hey, the former things, great. Let's learn from them. Some of these systems that we have in place, the way that we're used to doing things, let's, let's keep improving them. Let's, let's let God you know, be glorified in that, but let's not limit God to working only in that. Amen? Yeah, hey. Could it be God wants to not just do a new thing in my life, but in our life? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
This vision of wanting to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, to share his love for the salvation of everyone before his soon return, hey, that, that is a vision that we can give our all to. And check it out. God may do that in new ways. Will we let him? Will we let him? Now, for some of us, like I said, that may freak us out, okay? Do new things, you know? <laughs> no, we're not going to be reckless about this. No, why? Because God is not reckless about this. He's the one in charge. What we're simply wanting to say to each other and to God is, go ahead, God. You do your thing. We'll do our following thing. Yeah? So here's the invite. Here's the ask. At the onset of 2022, let us cultivate the expectation that God can and will exceed our expectations. Yes. How many of you want to say, okay, <laughs> yeah, amen. And sure, that, that may be something that requires more self-distrust. Sure. That may be something that calls for deeper dependence upon God. But he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So when you walk through the waters, I'll be right there with you. When you walk through the fires of discomfort and new things, I will be right there. So will we let God be God? And trust him to do new things in our lives. If that's your desire, would you please stand with me and we'll pray. Yeah? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Hmm. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are the God who invites us to know you. You're not just a system to memorize or a formula to apply. You are the God who wants to walk with us and lead us. And so, Father, we, at the onset of 2022, just pray for a greater capacity to trust you. Father, we may be in different situations of captivity and in bondage, but we know that you are the God who takes us from here to there. We know that you're the God who makes a way where it seems impossible. And so, Father, for ourselves and for others that we are burdened for, we claim this assurance. God, we pray that you would do a new thing in my life. We pray that you would do a new thing in the life of the Fort Collins Seventh-day Adventist Church. Lord, when it happens, cause us to know it. Please, let our attention be fixed on you not just what we're comfortable with or used to. Father, thank you that this is not a reckless appeal, but this is an invitation to trust you in this new year. We're standing here in 2022, not certain how the rest of this script is going to unfold, God. But we know that we're walking with the God who does new things. And so we want to trust you and find sweet peace and joy in doing so. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen and amen.